Good morning. My name is Nayaswami Ananta. This is Nayaswami Maria. It is a very great joy to be with you today. And I'd like to uh, welcome all of you and those online to the Temple of Light here in uh, Ananda Village. I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light. This week's reading is Faith is a Call to Prayer, Prayer is a Call to Faith. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapters 7 and 21, we read, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Verily I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Paramahansa Yogananda showed by his own example that prayer is a power provided we believe deeply in that power. When our thoughts and feelings are strongly focused and then united in growing awareness to the divine presence within, they can bring even seemingly unrealistic wishes to fulfillment. When Paramahansa Yogananda was in charge of his school in Ranchi, India, he took the boys on occasional outings to the surrounding countryside. There was a waterfall not far away, he told Swami Kriyananda, where I took them sometimes. It was dangerous to cross there, but I would cry out to the boys, do you believe in God? Yes, they would shout back enthusiastically, and so we always crossed in safety. Years later, after I'd gone to America, one of the teachers tried to do the same thing but he lacked spiritual power. One of the boys slipped on a rock and was drowned. Thus, the master explained, belief alone is not enough. It must be united to one-pointed awareness, which leads to self-realization. The Bhagavad Gita in the sixth chapter underscores the necessity for such one-pointed concentration. Whenever the mind fickle and restless, wanders off from its concentration. Let the meditating yogi withdraw it resolutely, spurning every distraction, no matter how alluring, and bring it back again and again under the control of the self. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh. Hello, everybody. I'm going to read from <clears throat> Whispers from Eternity, and these are prayer demands by <clears throat> Paramahansa Yogananda. And this one is entitled, Let Me Feel That Thou and I Are One. When the sparks of cosmic creation flew from under thy crucible of love, I danced with all the lights that heralded the coming of a myriad worlds. 
I am a little spark of thy joyous cosmic fire. O thou son of life, as thy nectar poured into the little cups of human minds, filled with molten liquid of vital sparks, they thought to contain thy golden infinity in the smallness of their human feelings. In each fragile, undulating mirror of human flesh, I see reflected thy restless dance of omnipresent power. In the lambent waters of life, I behold thy ever-steady, almighty life. Teach me, Christ-like, by the power of concentration, to still the restless storms of desire raging on the lake of my mind. Stilling those waters, I lovingly behold thy unruffled face of cosmic stillness. Cause the little wave of my life to subside, that thy consciousness in me spread out to become thine own vastness. Let me feel my heart throbbing in thy breast, my feet moving with thy energy, thy breath breathing through mine, thy energy actively moving my arms, thy thoughts weaving all the thoughts in my brain. When I cry, thy soft sigh within me wakens me to thy joy. In thy playfulness, little bubble visions of thy creation float dancingly in the chamber of my dreams, which manifest in my sleep of delusion. Thy meteoric will courses through the skies of my own willpower. Make me feel that it is thou who art I. Oh, make me thyself, that I behold my little bubble of self ever floating in thee. So we have today a beautiful topic on faith and prayer. And these are like a divine dance, aren't they, in the experience of inner communion, one supporting and inspiring the other, one sparking the other to, to be the perspective, to be the consciousness within which we meet life and all that comes to us on a daily level, prayer and faith. And hearing this reading that Ananta read, I mean, we, we say, oh, it's, it's the one at the waterfall. <laughs> and it's intense. If you're hearing it for the per first time, you're probably thinking, wow, <laughs> where did that come from? Why that? And if you're hearing it, you know, after hearing it for decades, I mean, most of us are very familiar with that story that Yogananda told. And it's still startling. It still kind of shakes you at your core. And he's giving us that story for a reason, that faith and prayer are all important. They're at the core of everything we do, everything we're trying to live as disciples and seekers of truth. It's, it's central. It's, we cannot go in, inwardly into that divine realm 
without communing inwardly. And what is that? That's the asking of our hearts to be close to God, the having expressed that desire, bringing it to action, living by it, feeling the strength of it, the power of it in everything, in our daily lives. Yogananda says that we must cultivate faith, that belief is not enough. Ideals are not enough. We have to bring in the power of God behind those and stand by them and make them our experience if they're worth experiencing, if they're worth standing behind, if they're what we say is our belief. We have to actualize that. We have to make it our faith, the power that links us to God in everything, no matter what, every circumstance. Yogananda said, what comes of itself, let it come. Well, that's kind of scary too. You know, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on out there, and do we have to be a part of it? Do we have to experience it all? And sometimes we do, and it can be intense. But in our faith, as Yogananda says, we stand unshakable. We learn what that inner resolve is, the strength of it, and the uh, ability, the willingness, the openness to go forward with it, even as it appears, even as it looks. And this is the mountain that Jesus describes that can be potentially moved. And it's true, it's real. I mean, we don't see mountains moving every day except by the command of God, you know, himself and nature through earthquakes, all of this kind of thing. But the reality of it is that if we just look a little bit, a little bit into our lives, we see that, yes, big mountains have been moved. You know, the mountains of delusion, the mountains of ego identity, the mountains of that sense of hopelessness. When you see people at just at extreme loss in the world, their lives fully compromised. And these mountains, they, they, we come up right against them, and they, the opportunity is that they be resolved. And the only way to resolve that, the only way to understand a story, it was a real story that Yogananda told. It really happened, and it's tragic. It seems so unnecessary, and so much of what goes on in this world seems so unnecessary. But at the same time, it's the opportunity that's going to free us. It's the opportunity through which our faith, our deepening faith, is going to help us to move through. A friend was sharing with me the other day a prayer that has cultivated and deepened their faith profoundly in the last many years. And the prayer is, teach me how to love you more deeply. Well, that's a wide open door. <laughs> and how is God going to do that? You know, we don't know. And yet, this person saying that prayer and just repeating and affirming it and going deep with it has been able to, you know, in their own words, just move through incredible obstacles and challenges and miracles, you know, that have landed them in this community. I mean, it's just, and how rare is that opportunity? Very, very rare.
And uh, I wanted to share with you a story of, um, from the great Indian epic, the Ramayana. And uh, it's a marvelous account and thrilling story, at the very least, but powerful teaching of how to live the spiritual life and the attitudes that are necessary, and of course, faith and prayer. And in this episode, uh, Rama, the hero of the story, really, one of them, uh, he's been asked, he's been essentially, he's been thrown out of the kingdom of Ayodhya. And this has come about, he has a brother, Lakshman, another brother, Bharata. And this has come about because his father, initially, seeing his life, you know, coming soon to a close, decides that he needs to make Ram, uh, Rama king and do this special ceremony that inaugurates him so that he can assume that role when the time comes. And everyone loves Rama, there's no question. There's just no question that this is the right thing, the dharmic thing uh, to do. But <clears throat> one of Ram's mothers, and he has a number of them in that age, it was just how families were constructed, especially in the nobility. And his stepmother uh, gets it in her consciousness. That's a whole other story, but she loves Rama too. And then somehow this thought enters, well, if Rama becomes king, then my son, my son, is not going to be able to be king. And that's a problem for me. So she sits with that perspective for a while and then just completely topples the tables. Apparently, years before, the, her husband, the king, the present king, was, uh, promised her a boon and said, you can ask me anything. I will fulfill it. My love for you is so great. And she didn't exercise you know, the asking of that boon at the time, but now recalls it. And she asks her husband and says, not only do I want my son Bharata to assume the throne, but I want Ram sent to the forest for 14 years. And this crushes the king. I mean, he's, he's devastated. He didn't see it coming. And he is he's going to honor his word. I mean, he lives by his word. And so he has the task of telling his son Rama that he needs, not, not only is he not going to be king, he's out, he's out. He's out entirely. And Rama takes this totally at ease. If that is your will, it is done. I am gone. And he sets off in deer skin and bark and, and with his wife Sita and brother Lakshman, and they head off. Well, Bharata has been out of the kingdom for some time, visiting with family. And he comes back and he's horrified. He can't believe this has taken place. He doesn't understand it in the least. And he heads out after Ram to plead with him. And long story short, is unsuccessful. Ram is true to his word as well. So Bharata takes out from the carriage that's brought him He's brought a number of elements because he's hoping to convince Ram that he should be king, elements that would be part of an ordination right there. But when Ram says no, Bharat reaches for a pair of sandals. 
And these are sandals worthy of a king. They're inlaid with gold. And he brings them to Rama and says, please, please stand on these sandals and bless them. For it is these sandals that will be the symbol of the divine rule through you, even in your absence, and they will carry the burden of this kingdom and the leadership of it. So Ram steps on the sandals, then he withdraws. Bharata picks them up, and he places them on top of his head. In India, to touch the earth that the guru has walked upon and, and to hold that, you know, for that blessing is a sacred thing. And Bharata puts them on his head, and he walks back to Ayodhya with them on his head, and he places them on the throne. And you know he's the instrument for leadership of the kingdom at that time, but he is the instrument for God. And it is through Rama and his attunement to him that he will rule until he comes back. It's a beautiful story of how faith can support us in whatever circumstance. It's, it is filled with devotion, and that too is an element of faith. You can't fake it. You know, you can have beliefs, that's one thing. <laughs> but faith is grounded in a deep devotion, a deep relationship and trust with God. And that's where it's power, that, that's what gives it its power, that's what feeds that power. And so, as the Gita says, we have to, we cultivate our faith in that experience, in that sharing with God. I know over the years, many times when <clears throat> Swami Kriyananda was alive and here with us, and met us, you could, and I did, I would watch him, you know, for a few minutes in meditation. And he just, as the Gita describes, he just withdrew that energy resolutely and sat there in perfect stillness at the feet of God. And you could see it, and you could feel it. And if you just tapped in for a few minutes and got in sync with that energy, it helped you to meditate. It helped you to meditate deeply. And we can still do that. We can still do that. A very dear friend of mine, I, I've done the same thing. I've watched this person just for a few minutes at the start of meditation, and they have that same energy now that same energy that Swamiji shared with us. And I can feel it, and I can see it, and it helps me to meditate. And that's what Master is talking about, that's what is given in the Gita by Krishna to Arjuna, that this is how we get there in faith. We've got to go to that place of complete inner stillness and be with God. That's our home. And if we're fighting restlessness and we feel agitated and it's not coming easily, hold that image, you know, hold master perfectly still at the point between the eyebrows. Hold Swamiji perfectly still at the point between the eyebrows. You've all seen that, you've all experienced that. Even people are new who are new they're watching this, they're coming to Sunday service because they can see the difference of a God-centered life and a life-centered 
in the world centered in just belief, but not actual experience. So we know the difference is the point, and we just need to bring that to mind and tap into it. Life will challenge us because we are devotees, because we have been on the path for a long time. We're not going to skate by unscathed, I assure you, and I don't want to you know, uh, suggest anything or magnetize anything, but it, it's just so obvious. It's the nature of the world. It's the nature of our karma. We're here to become free. We're here to be more in God, and that's going to create some friction, you know, because there's all of our, all of the citizens aren't lined up necessarily in that desire, in that goal. And if we look to our masters, we look to our gurus, you know, they didn't escape without tests and challenges and big ones. You know, Swami Kriyananda in his book, The New Path, Path his autobiography, he talks about how he mentions that master. It was in 1948, and it was just right before Swamiji came to Self-Realization Fellowship, his guru's organization. And Yogananda experienced a very profound divine ecstasy, and it went on for, I think, months. And <clears throat> but during that time, Divine Mother, one of the things she told Yogananda was, I have sent you many bad ones to test your love for me, but now I am sending you angels, and whoever smites them, I will smite. <laughs> but, you know, Yogananda, I'm sharing this with you because he had many tests in his life. You know, he met with betrayal, he met with persecution, not all people were kind, not all people were loving. You know, there were very difficult times, people-wise and in society. I mean, you know, the crash in World War II, and, you know, as he describes, eating tomatoes on the hillside at Mount Washington. I mean, things were not easy, they were not smooth, and he was our guru, he was God-realized. But he did this for us. He did this to show the power of faith in God to remove obstacles, to transcend limitations, to transcend shortcomings within ourselves, things that are keeping us from realizing that divine ecstasy that Yogananda was talking about. So our masters have not been spared, and. You know, so be it, what comes of itself, let it come. But it is our faith. It is, it is in these moments when we try to seek and realize that divine experience that we're, we're watering the plant. You know, when you cultivate the soil, you're preparing the soil. That's what it means. You cultivate the soil, you bring in organic matter, you make it loose and so roots can spread out and grow plants and bear fruit. And that's the same thing inwardly. We take our belief and we cultivate it, we actualize it in activity, in faith. We try to tune into God, we ask God to be present with us, and we test that. We prove it for our so we prove it for ourselves. 
that this is something that works and this is working for me and in me and through me and in my life and this is what has power this is what it, this is what gives me staying power you know the ability to just endure the ability to go forward the ability to persevere with joy with joy in our hearts because we can see we can see what would happen if we didn't have that experience. And so <clears throat> Swamiji gives us, he talks about a practice in his own life that builds faith, that for him deepened his faith, and we're all familiar with it. He talks about the practice of chanting mentally Om Guru. And he said of that, when I do that, and as I have done that, my consciousness has been completely transformed. Completely transformed. It's clearer, it's purer, my desire for God is stronger, my dedication is deeper, all of that. And what is he saying? My faith is stronger. It's it's with me and helping me to live this life and do what God, all that, to do all that God is asking me to do. So it rests upon each one of us. It's the opportunity we have in every day and every moment to make real, make real what we think is our relationship with God and to deepen what we think is our relationship with God. It's not stagnant. It's not like we become a disciple and get it. We get a part of it. It's real. Discipleship initiation is real. Kriya is real. Living the spiritual life is real. But we haven't arrived. If we had, we wouldn't be here. There's more to do. There's a lot more to do. And the, what there is to do is just deepening that inner faith and resolve that there's nothing but God. That's all there is. And that's the joy and the beauty and the opportunity of this life. Thank you. Crave only 
as for no riches that death can destroy. I crave only thee, your love and your joy. The dancers will singing must end. I welcome the darkness with